abounded all the more. It's a combination of two Greek words, Hooper, Parasio, all right? And Hooper is where we get our English word, hyper, all right? People talk about grace as hyper grace. Well, it is hyper. Hyper is over the top because grace is like it's excessive. It's over the top. So abounded all the more. Let me give you a definition of that. It means to be in great excess, extreme, supply lavishly, be more abundant. Hooper parasio. It's one word in the Greek, but it's a combination of two words. Hooper parasio is what's translated abounded all the more. It means to be in great excess, extreme, supply lavishly, be more abundant. This unmerited favor that we have from God is extreme. It's hyper. It's excessive. It's over the top. It's radical. It's life-altering. It's transformation. Praise God. Welcome to the Living by Grace podcast with Al Jennings. When you receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, you will reign in life. Listen in as we discuss the effortless life of God's grace. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Living by Grace podcast. Today, I'm going to teach on the subject of righteousness, and we're going to dive right into it, beginning in Romans 5:17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. All right. The reason why righteousness is so important is that you can't reign in life without it. And I talked about this before in a previous podcast that we don't reign in life by doing. We reign in life by receiving. In other words, we don't reign in life by our self-effort, by what we do, all right? We reign in life by receiving. Receiving what? The abundance of grace. And in a previous podcast, I talked about the gospel of grace. So in this podcast, I want to talk about righteousness. And you need both of those things. You need to grab a hold of the gospel of grace and not just a little bit of grace, but the abundance of grace. It's the abundance of grace and righteousness. And I like that it says the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Righteousness is a gift. It's a gift to be received. All right. And so you need those two things. If you're going to reign in life, you're going to need the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. What is righteousness? What does righteousness mean? Well, here's my definition of righteousness. Righteousness means that you are accepted. You are. And when I say accepted, I mean accepted by God. You are approved. You are not guilty. You are well-pleasing to God. You are as you ought to be. 
right where you are right now, no matter what you've done, no matter what sins you may have committed today, this is how God sees you. Accepted by God. He sees you accepted. You're accepted by God. You are approved by God. You are not guilty. You are well-pleasing to God. You are as you ought to be. All right. Second Corinthians 521. For our sake, he made him, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus never committed any acts of sin, but he became sin on our behalf so that we could be made righteous. The cross was an exchange. All right. He took our sin. And in the exchange, he took our sin. And in the exchange, we get his righteousness. All right. That's awesome stuff. Amplified says this. For our sake, he made Christ virtually to be sin who knew no sin so that in and through him we might become endued with, viewed as being in, and examples of the righteousness of God. Watch this. What we ought to be. You are as you ought to be right now. Approved and acceptable and in right relationship with him by his goodness. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, all because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Now, here's one of my favorite scriptures, Romans chapter 5. Let's look at that. Verses 19 and 20. It says, for as by the one man's disobedience, now that's Adam, Adam's disobedience in the garden when he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God told him, gave him free reign of every tree in the garden. He said, of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of that tree for the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. He ate of the tree and he died. He died spiritually. Obviously, he didn't die physically because he went on living for hundreds of years. The death that he died was a spiritual death. That means that he was alienated and separated from God. Okay. And that's the disobedience that it's referring to here. By Adam's disobedience, The many were made sinners. Now, pause. We are not sinners because of what we do. I'm talking about before we were born again. We were all in the state of sinnerhood, (laughs) for lack of a better term. Okay. We were made sinners, not because of anything we did. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's our status before we receive Jesus as Savior, okay? So by Adam's disobedience, we were made sinners. You're not a sinner because of what you do. You're a sinner because of how you are born. Again, I'm not referring to the born-again believer. I'm talking about before we received Christ. By Adam's disobedience, we were made sinners. 
See, no matter what acts that you do, no matter what good deeds you do as a sinner, it can't change your sinner status, your sinnerhood. <laughs> okay. All right. No, no good deeds you do can change your sinner status when you're a sinner. All right. And actually, this passage that we're in right now, the subject really is not sin. Now, we're starting off that way, but that's not really the subject. The subject is to show you your righteousness and how what Jesus did on the cross far superseded the predicament that Adam got us into by his disobedience in the garden. Watch this. By Adam's disobedience, the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So it's giving us a, a contrast comparing what Adam did with what Jesus did. And so we were sinners by not by what we do, not by our behavior, not by our deeds. We were sinners because we inherited the sin nature from Adam. And that's why we needed Jesus as a savior. So in contrast to what Adam did, his disobedience that made us sinners the one man's obedience, not your obedience, but the one man's obedience. This is referring to Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. By Jesus' obedience, the many will be made righteous. All right. So just like one man's disobedience, Adam made us sinners. In contrast, it's the one man's obedience. It's Jesus' obedience that makes you righteous, not your obedience. So just like as a sinner, no good deed that you do could change your sinner status. No bad deed that you do can change your righteous status because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, because of his obedience. See, does that make sense? So if what Adam did and what Jesus did was just on an equal level, and it's not, like I said before, and we'll get into it more, what Jesus did far superseded what Adam did. But if they were on an equal level, no bad thing you do can change your righteous status. Okay. If, if you could do something bad, if you can commit a sin or do something in disobedience to God, your disobedience, your sin, your bad deed, if that could make you unrighteous, then that would make what Adam did more powerful than what Jesus did. Does that make sense? Because. It's what Adam did that made you a sinner. And it's what Jesus did that made you righteous. 
again, no, no matter, I, I want you to get this. I know I'm being repetitive, but there is, there is no bad thing or excuse me, no good thing you could do to change your sinner status because you're not a sinner because of what you do. You are, you are, you are a sinner because before you received Christ, you, you were a sinner because you inherited Adam's sin nature. There's nothing you could do to change that sinner status. And if that's the case, then there's nothing you can do to change your righteous status. If what Adam did and what Christ did was on an equal level. All right. Test time. <laughs> okay. Whose sin made you a sinner? Correct answer is Adam. Follow up question. How many sins does it take to be a sinner? Let me take a sip of coffee here. The answer is zero. We were born that way. Whose obedience made you righteous? Jesus. It was Jesus' obedience that made you righteous, not your obedience. Make sure you understand that. Here's another question. How many righteous acts does it take to become righteous? The answer is zero. We were reborn that way. Now listen, listen to these two statements together, these two questions and answers. How many sins does it take to be a sinner? Zero. We were born that way. How many righteous acts does it take to be righteous? Zero. We were reborn that way. There's nothing you can do to make you righteous. All you have to do is receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and it's his obedience that made you righteous. Just like we were sinners, not by behavior, but by birth, we are righteous by the new birth, by receiving Jesus, not by our behavior. Boy, isn't that good stuff? And let, let me re reiterate this point. If your bad deeds could change your righteous status, that would mean that Adam's transgression was greater than Jesus' gift. Wow. <laughs> now, it gets better. So, if what Adam did and what Jesus did were on equal level, nothing you can do could change your righteous status. But they are not on equal level because what Jesus did far superseded what Adam did. Look at verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Let's read them together. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many were, will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. See, the, the law wasn't given to stop sin. Actually, the law was given to increase sin. The law was given, the law of Moses was provided to bring man to the end of, his, of himself. Okay? It was impossible to keep the law. Nobody could keep the law perfectly except Jesus. And so the law came in to show us how bad we were and that we were in need of a Savior. The law was given to show us that we couldn't keep it. 
the strength of sin is the law or the the power of sin is the law. So the law came in to increase the trespass. Now, here is what I want you to see. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. See, this is not a discussion of sin. This is a discussion of righteousness. Paul is bringing out the fact. He's driving home the fact that we are righteous by what Jesus did. See, the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased because of what Adam did, grace abounded all the more because of what Jesus did. Now, let's look at this phrase, abounded all the more. Abounded all the more. That's just one word in the Greek. It's different from the word increase. This is talking about where sin increased because of what Adam did. Sin increased. But grace, hallelujah, abounded all the more. It superseded what sin did. Abounded all the more. It's a combination of two Greek words. Hooper, parasio, all right? And hooper is where we get our English word hyper, all right? People talk about grace as hyper grace. Well, it is hyper. Hyper is over the top because grace is like it's excessive. It's over the top. So abounded all the more. Let me give you a definition of that. It means to be in great excess, extreme, supply lavishly, be more abundant. Hooper parasio. It's one word in the Greek, but it's a combination of two words. Hooper parasio is what's translated abounded all the more. It means to be in great excess, extreme, supply lavishly, be more abundant. This unmerited favor that we have from God is extreme. It's hyper. It's excessive. It's over the top. It's radical. It's life altering. It's transformational. Praise God. Let's look at Galatians chapter three and verse one. And Paul said, oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you for the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Now, Paul is frustrated with these Galatians because these Judaizers came in. These Galatians are non-Jews. They're Gentiles. And Judaizers came in after they received Christ and tried to convince them that they need to keep the law in addition to receiving Christ, as if Christ is not enough. No, the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Here's an equation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. All right. Now, verse two, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. Verse three, how foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the spirit? Why? Are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? All right. Paul is, is telling them, you can't you can't do this. You, you cannot become perfect by your own human effort. All we have to do is receive what Jesus did for us on the cross. The gospel is so simple. It's Jesus obedience that made you righteous. All right. 
It's not your human effort. So stop trying. Stop trying to be a good Christian. Your human effort is kind of like quicksand. If you're in quicksand, the harder you try, the deeper you go. <laughs> Let's look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. It says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. See, it's not by human effort that we become righteous. All right. It's not our obedience. Again, it's Jesus obedience that made us righteous. Righteousness and grace go together because righteousness is revealed in the gospel of grace. Look at Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I, Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in what? The subject is the gospel. That's the power of God. For in it, that's in the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The righteous shall live by faith. All right. And the gospel of Christ is the gospel of grace. I explained that in the podcast episode on the gospel of grace. And you can go back and listen to that. And I explained from scripture that the gospel of Christ is the gospel of grace. So you can read it like this. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of grace, for it is the power of God. And now in it, in the gospel in the gospel of Christ, in the gospel of grace, righteousness is revealed, all right? When the gospel is preached, when the true gospel is preached, righteousness is revealed. And again, what does righteousness mean? It means you are accepted, praise God, we are, you are approved, you are not guilty, you are well-pleasing to God, you are as you ought to be. And that's revealed in the gospel. Titus 3, 7 from the New Living because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. So you see how you really can't separate righteousness and grace. Because of his grace, he gave us righteousness. Hallelujah. Righteousness is a grace gift. We are righteous because of God's unmerited favor. Now, let me give you a scripture, and then I'm going to give you nine righteousness facts. Okay, I'll try to go through these quickly. They're very important. Ephesians 4.24, and that you put on the new man, which was created. This new man is the spiritual man that's been born again. The part of you, your spirit, the part of you that has been born again. That's the new man that it's referring to. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Your spirit, the new man, was created in true righteousness. All right. Righteousness is a status that you receive the moment that you make Jesus the Lord of your life. All right. Let's go over some righteousness facts. Number one, 
You become righteous when you are born again. Number two, you are made righteous by your believing, not by your works. Number three, you will not be. Now, listen to this one. You will not be more righteous in heaven than you are right now. Wow. Boy, that's that's something to think about. You'll never be any more righteous than you are right now. You're as righteous as you're ever going to be. You won't be any more righteous in heaven than you are right now. Number four, you have the same righteousness that Jesus has. That's powerful. Number five, righteousness is not a goal to be achieved, but a gift to be received. Number six, righteousness is not something you deserve. Jesus made it happen for you. Hallelujah. Number seven, you can't earn it or work for it. You just receive it. Number eight, you don't grow in righteousness. You don't grow in it. It's a status that you receive when you're born again. Number nine, righteousness is not a thing like faith or love. Righteousness is a position. It's not a state of doing, but a state of being that you're born into. All right. Ephesians chapter six, verse 14, it says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, Paul is going through in Ephesians chapter 6 a, a catalog of a cataloging of the armor the armor of God and one of the pieces of the armor is a breastplate and the breastplate covers the chest area it covers the area where your heart is and that's significant because the breastplate that he's talking about is the breastplate of righteousness What the breastplate of righteousness does, it protects your heart from the accusations of the enemy. The devil is called the accuser of the brethren. He's always trying to accuse you of something you've done wrong, how you haven't measured up to God's standard, that kind of stuff. And so when you receive this gift of righteousness, it protects your heart from the enemy. Proverbs tells us to guard our heart with all diligence and righteousness is the answer to protect our heart from the accusations of the enemy. All right. Now, when we think about Abraham and Abraham's righteousness, now he doesn't have he didn't have the same righteousness that we have. Righteousness was imputed to him. But he didn't have righteousness imparted to him like we did. So we actually have a better righteousness than Abraham. But Abraham still is um, the father of the faithful. All right. The Bible tells us that we are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And if we're in Christ, we're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we're the seed of Abraham. And Abraham had righteousness imputed to him. And 
he wasn't righteous by his behavior. It's because that God declared him righteous. Abraham wasn't perfect. I mean, he didn't do everything right. Twice he said that his wife was his sister. He lied twice to two different kings. Okay, so Abraham didn't do everything right. He was made right with God because of God's grace and his right believing, not because of his right living. Okay, let's look at John chapter 3, 17 and 18. And I want to show you that you will never be judged for your sins because Jesus was judged on the cross for all your sins. John 3, 17 and 18 from the Amplified, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world. Now that's right after the very popular scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Many people stop reading, but the next verse says God didn't send his son into the world to judge or to pass sentence on the world. And you can see that easily by looking in the Gospels and following his ministry, and you'll see that he didn't go around judging people. That's what the religious people did. But Jesus went around showing grace and mercy to people, right? Look at the woman that was caught in adultery, and everybody wanted to stone her. They were telling Jesus, well, the law says she ought to be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus wrote on the ground, and, and he said, uh, he upheld the law. Because Jesus, when he walked the earth, he was operating under the dispensation of the law. So they thought they trapped him. But he said, he that is without sin. Okay, that's what the law says. You're right. But he who is without sin, throw the first stone. Then they all started walking out. All right. And then nobody was left but Jesus and the woman. And a a lot of people want to jump to that statement that Jesus said, go and sin no more. But he said something. Before that, they gave her the power to sin no more. He said, has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. He said, neither do I. He gave her the gift of no condemnation. And that gave her the power to sin no more. Thank you, Lord. So God did not send the son into the world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world, but that the world might find salvation and be made safe and sound through him. He who believes in him, who clings to, trusts in, is not judged. He who trusts in him never comes up for judgment. For for him there is no rejection, no condemnation. He incurs no damnation. But he who does not believe, cleave to, rely on, trust in him is judged already He has already been convicted and has already received his sentence because he has not believed in and trusted in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He is condemned for refusing to let his trust rest in Christ's name. Let's go back over this statement that says, He who believes in him, who clings to, trusts in, relies on him, is not judged. He who trusts in him, never, never comes up for judgment. For him, there is no rejection. Hallelujah. No condemnation. He incurs no damnation. Wow. That's good news. Our sins were legally 
pay for. God didn't sweep sin under the rug. He sent Jesus to take our place. And Jesus was judged for all our sins. We looked at the verse earlier. He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Our sins were paid for legally. God judged sin in the body of his son. People always want to know, what about sin? Sin has been canceled. God canceled our sin in the body of Jesus. Our sins have been paid for. See, God is a just judge. He has to judge sin, and he judged sin in the body of his son. And people want to say, well, you're going you, you, to answer for your sin. My answer is, Jesus paid it all. <laughs> See, so what, what do we do when we sin? And we all sin. What do we do? Acknowledge the finished work of Jesus. Acknowledge Jesus finished work on the cross. Now, that's too simple for some people. Here's something else. When you sin, say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. See, acknowledge your righteousness. See, when Paul was dealing with the Corinthian church, which was involved in a lot of sin, a man would have his father's wife and that kind of stuff. They were sinning like crazy. They were the most sinningest church in the New Testament. But yet, what did Paul do? Paul never told them to confess their sin in order to be forgiven. Because our sins, we don't have to confess in, or, in order to be forgiven. We're forgiven because of the blood of Jesus on the cross. All of our sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. Jesus made one sacrifice for sins forever. That means past, present, and future. All right? All of our sins have been judged in the body of Jesus. Okay? So, so when we sin, we, we just acknowledge that we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And what Paul did with the Corinthian church, Paul never t told anybody at any time to confess your sins in order to be forgiven. Should we be sorry for our sins? Yes. But we don't confess to be forgiven. What did Paul do with the Corinthian church? He pointed them to their identity. He would say things like, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He pointed them to who they are in Christ. See? And people are, are going around telling people, well, you need to get right with God. For a believer, you're already right with God. All right? See, as an unbeliever, you don't tell them to get right with God. They can't on their own. That was why the law was given to show a person that you can't get right with God on your own. The law was given to get man to the end of himself. All right. So that we can acknowledge that we need a savior, Jesus. All right. One more scripture I want to give to you from various translations. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. New Century Version says, so now those who are in Christ Jesus are not judged guilty. Praise God. You are not 
judged guilty. You will never be judged for your sins. Your sins have already been judged in the body of Jesus. The Amplified Bible says in Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation, no judging guilty of wrong for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now I'm going to stop right there because uh, this last phrase, who live and walk not after the dictates of the flesh, but after the dictates of the spirit, it, it looks as though that no condemnation is conditional based on you not walking according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The more ancient translations like ESV, NIV, NASB, okay, they put a full stop after those who are in Christ Jesus, full stop. They don't include that phrase, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So this is not conditional based on you doing anything. There's no condemnation for you because of the finished work of Jesus. Praise God. All right, everybody, that's it for today. Thank you all for joining, and I am out. Thank you for joining us today for the Living by Grace podcast. You are greatly blessed, highly favored, deeply loved, totally righteous, and destined to win because of Jesus. Have an amazing day.